Chapter Eight of Wood and Garden. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Wood and Garden Notes and Thoughts Practical and Critical of a Working Amateur by Gertrude Jekyll. Chapter Eight July scarcity of flowers delphiniums yuccas cottagers way of protecting tender plants astromeria carnations gypsophila lilian giganteum cutting fern pegs after the wealth of blooms of june there appear to be but few flowers in the garden there seems to be a time of comparative emptiness between the earlier flowers and those of autumn it is true that in the early days of july we have delphiniums the grandest blues of the flower year they are in two main groups in the flower border one of them nearly all of the palest kind not a solid clump but with a thicker nucleus thinning away for several yards right and left only white and pale yellow flowers are grouped with this and pale fresh-looking foliage of maize and funkia the other group is at some distance at the extreme western end this is of the full and deeper blues following a clump of yuccas and grouped about with things of important silvery foliage such as globe artichoke and silver thistle eryngium i have found it satisfactory to grow delphiniums from seed choosing the fine strong cantab as the seed parent because the flowers were of a medium colour scarcely so light as the name would imply and because of its vigorous habit and well-shaped spike it produced flowers of all shades of blue and from these were derived nearly all i have in the border i found them better for the purpose in many cases than the named kinds of which i had a fair collection the seedlings were well grown for two years in nursery lines worthless ones being taken out as soon as they showed their character there is one common defect i cannot endure an interrupted spike where the flowers having filled a good bit of the spike leave off leaving a space of bare stem and then go on again if this habit proves to be persistent after the two years trial the plan is condemned for my liking the spike must be well filled but not overcrowded many of the show kinds are too full for beauty the shape of the individual flower is lost some of the double ones are handsome but in these the flower takes another shape becoming more rosette-like and thereby loses its original character some are of mixed colouring a shade of lilac pink sliding through pale blue it is very beautiful in some cases the respective tints remaining as clear as in an opal but in many it only muddles the flower and makes it ineffective Delphinians are greedy feeders and pay for rich cultivation and liberal manurial mulches and waterings in a hot summer if not well cared for they get stunted and are miserable objects the flower distorted and cramped into a clumsy-looking elongated mop-head 
though weak in growth the old delphinium belladonna has so lovely a quality of colour that it is quite indispensable the feeble stem should be carefully and unobtrusively staked for the better display of its incomparable blue some of the yuccas will bloom before the end of the month i have them in bold patches the whole fifteen feet depth of the border at the extreme ends and on each side of the pathway where passing from the lawn to the peony ground it cuts across the border to go through the arched gateway the kinds of yucca are gloriosa recurva flaccidia and filamentosa they are good to look at at all times of the year because of their grand strong foliage and are the glory of the garden when in flower one of the gloriosa threw up a stout flower spike in january i had thought of protecting and roofing the spike in the hope of carrying it safely through till spring but meanwhile there came a damp day and a frosty night and when i saw it again it was spoiled the yucca filamentosa that i have i was told by a trusty botanist was the true plant but rather tender the one commonly called by that name being something else i found it in a cottage garden where i learnt a useful lesson in protecting plants namely the use of thickly cut peaty sods the good wife had noticed that the peaty grounds of the adjoining common covered with heath and gorse and mossy grass resisted frost much better than the garden or meadow and it had been her practice for many years to get some thick dry sods with the heath left on and to pack them close round to protect tender plants and this way she had preserved her fuchsia of greenhouse kinds and calceolaria and the yucca in question the most brilliant mass of flowers in early july is given by the beds of alstromeria arentiaca of this we have three distinct varieties all desirable there is a four foot wide bed some forty feet long of the kind most common in gardens and at a distance from it a group grown from selected seed of a paler colour seedlings of this remain true to colour or as gardeners say the variety is fixed the third type is from a good old garden in ireland larger in every way than the type with petals of great width and extremely rich in colour alstromeria chilenza is an equally good plant and beds of it are beautiful in their varied colouring all beautifully harmonious and ranging through nearly the same tints as hardy azaleas they are the best of the alstromerias for ordinary garden culture they do well in warm sheltered places in the poorest soil but the soil must be deep for the bunches of tender fleshy roots go far down the roots are extremely brittle and must be carefully handled alstromeria are easily raised from seed but when the seedlings are planted out the crown should be quite four inches under the surface and have a thick bed of leaves or some other mild mulching material over them in winter to protect them from frost for they are chilean plants and demand and deserve a little surface comfort to carry them safely through the average english winter sea holly eryngium is another family of july flowering plants that does well on poor sandy soils that have been deeply stirred of these the more generally useful is e olivianum 
the E. amethystium of nurserymen, but so named in error, the true plant being rare and scarcely known in gardens. The whole plant has an admirable structure of a dry and nervous quality, with a metallic colouring and dull lustre that are in strong contrast to softer types of vegetation. The black-coated roots go down straight and deep, and enable it to withstand almost any drought. Equaling it in beauty is E. giganteum, the silver thistle, of the same metallic texture but whitish and almost silvery. This is a biennial, and should be sown every year. A more lowly plant, but hardly less beautiful, is the wild sea holly of our coasts, E. maritinum, with leaves almost blue, and a handsome tuft of flower nearly matching them in color. It occurs on wind-blown sand hills, but is worth a place in any garden. It comes up rather late, but endures, apparently unchanged, except for the bloom, throughout the late summer and autumn. But the flower of this month that has the firmest hold of the gardener's heart is the carnation, the clove gilly flower of our ancestors. Why the good name gilliflower has gone out of use, it is impossible to say, for certainly the popularity of the flower has never waned. Indeed, in the seventeenth century it seems that it was the best-loved flower of all in England, for John Parkinson, perhaps our earliest writer on garden plants, devotes to it a whole chapter in his Paradisum Terrestris, a distinction shared by no other flower. He describes no less than fifty kinds, a few of which are still to be recognized, though some are lost. For instance, what has become of the great grey hulo, which he describes as a plant of the largest and strongest habit? The grey in this must refer to the colour of the leaf, as he says the flower is red, but there is also a variety called the blue hulo, with flowers of purplish muri colouring, answering to the slate color that we know as of not infrequent occurrence. The branch of the family that we still cultivate as Painted Lady is named by him Dainty Lady, the present name being, no doubt, an accidental and regrettable corruption. But though some of the older sorts may be lost, we have such a wealth of good known kinds that this need hardly be a matter of regret. The old red clove also holds its own for hardiness, beauty, and perfume. Its newer and dwarfer variety, Paul Engelhart, is quite indispensable, while the beautiful salmon-colored rabbi is perhaps the most useful of all, with his hardy constitution and great quantity of bloom. But it is difficult to grow carnations on our very poor soil. Even when it is carefully prepared, they still feel its starving and drying influence, and show their disdain by unusual shortness of life. Gypsophilia paniculata is one of the most useful plants of this time of year. Its delicate masses of bloom are like clouds of flowery mist settled down upon the flower borders. Shooting up behind and among it is a tall, salmon-colored gladiolus, a telling contrast both in form and manner of inferefence. Nothing in the garden has been more satisfactory and useful than a hedge of the white everlasting pea. 
the thick black roots that go down straight and deep have been undisturbed for some years and the plants yield a harvest of strong white bloom for cutting that always seems inexhaustible they are staked with stiff branching spray thrust into the ground diagonally and not reaching up too high this supports the heavy mass of growth without encumbering the upper blooming part hydrangeas are well in flower at the foot of a warm wall and in the same position are spreading masses of the beautiful clematis davidiana a herbaceous kind with large somewhat vine-like leaves and flowers of a pale blue color of a delicate and uncommon quality the blooming of the lilium giganteum is one of the great flower events of the year it is planted in rather large straggling groups just within the fringe of the copse in march the bulbs which are only just underground thrust their sharply pointed bottle green tips up out of the earth these soon expand into heart-shaped leaves looking much like arum foliage of the largest size and of a bright green color and glistening surface the groups are so placed that they never see the morning sun they require a slight sheltering of fir bough or anything suitable till the third week of may to protect the young leaves from the late frosts in june the flower stem shoots up straight and tall like a vigorous young green-stemmed tree if the bulb is strong and the conditions suitable it will attain a height of over eleven feet but among the flowering bulbs of a group there are sure to be some of various heights from differently sized bulbs those whose stature is about ten feet are perhaps the handsomest the upper part of the stem bears the gracefully drooping great white lily flowers each bloom some ten inches long greenish when in bud but changing to white when fully developed inside each petal is a purplish red stripe in the evening the scent seems to pour out of the great white trumpets and is almost overpowering but gains a delicate quality by passing through the air and at fifty yards away is like a faint waft of incense in the evening light when the sun is down the great heads of white flower have a mysterious and impressive effect when seen at some distance through the wood and by moonlight have a strangely weird dignity the flowers only last a few days but when they are over the beauty of the plant is by no means gone for the handsome leaves remain in perfection till the autumn while the growing seed pods rising into an erect position become large and rather handsome objects the rapidity and vigor of the four months growth from bulb to giant flowering plant is very remarkable the stem is a hollow fleshy tube three inches in diameter at the base and the large radiating roots are like those of a tree the original bulb is of course gone but when the plants that have flowered are taken up at the end of november offshoots are found clustered round the root these are carefully detached and replanted the great growth of these lilies could not be expected to come to perfection in our very poor shallow soil for doubtless in their mountain home in the eastern himalayas they grow in deep beds of cool vegetable earth here therefore their beds are deeply excavated and filled to within a foot of the top with any of the vegetable rubbish of which only too much accumulates in the late autumn 
Holes twelve feet across and three feet deep are convenient graves for frozen dahlia tops and half-hardy annuals. A quality of such material chopped up and tramped down close forms a cool subsoil that will comfort the lily bulbs for many a year. The upper foot of soil is of good compost, and when the young bulbs are planted the hole is covered with some inches of dead leaves that join in with the natural woodland carpet. Picture Caption The Giant Lily in the end of july we have some of the hottest of the summer days only beginning to cool between six and seven in the evening one or two evenings i go to the upper part of the wood to cut some fern pegs for pegging carnation layers armed with fag hook and knife and rubber and a low rush-bottomed stool to sit on the rubber is the stone for sharpening the knife a long stone of coarse sandstone grit such as is used for scythes when i am at work with a knife there is sure to be a rubber not far off for a blunt knife i cannot endure so there is a stone in each department of the garden sheds and a whole series in the workshop and one or two to spare to take on outside jobs the bracken has to be cut with a light hand, as the side shoots that will make the hook of the peg are easily broken at just the important joint. The fronds are of all sizes, from two to eight feet long, but the best for pegs are the moderate size that have not been weakened by growing too close together. Where they are crowded, the main stalk is thick, but the side ones are thin and weak, whereas when they get light and air the side branches are carried on stouter ribs and make stronger and better balanced pegs the cut fern is lightly laid in a long ridge with the ends all one way and the operator sits at the stock end of the ridge a nice cool shady place having been chosen four cuts with a knife makes a peg and each frond makes three pegs in about fifteen seconds with the fronds laid straight and handy it goes almost rhythmically then each group of three pegs is thrown into the basket where they clash on to the others with a hard ringing sound in about four days the pegs dry to a surprising hardness they are better than wooden ones and easier and quicker to make people who are not used to handling bracken should be careful how they cut a frond with a knife they are almost sure to get a nasty little cut on the second joint of the first finger of the right hand not from the knife but from the cut edge of the fern the stalk has a silicious coating that leaves a sharp edge like a thin flake of glass when cut diagonally with a sharp knife they should also beware how they pick or pull off a mature frond for even if the part of the stock laid hold of is bruised and twisted some of the glassy structure holds together and is likely to wound the hand end of chapter eight recorded by tom crawford in cool california u s a